The following presentation was recorded at the Newbury Buddhist Monastery, Victoria, Australia. Please visit our website at nbm.org.au. So, good evening and welcome to the Buddha Society of Victoria's a Monday night a weekly meditation program. And it's being streamed live from Newbury Buddhist Monastery. And my name is Venerable Nisarino. I think many of you will know me, but I'll just give a brief introduction. That uh, I have been a monk now for 23 years, or a full monk for 23 years, and for 14, year, 14 of those years uh, I have lived in Sri Lanka and spent eight years living in a cave in Sri Lanka, which was very nice. And uh, I often uh, visit Australia, come to Australia, and due to the coronavirus, I am here for an extended period, so that's rather good. So this evening is an opportunity for us to meditate together. And the format for this will be, um, there will be an introduction which I'll give 15-20 minutes and then a meditation for about 45 minutes. And then that will be followed by uh, comments, questions or complaints um, after the, uh, the meditation. And if you'd like to uh, make uh, ask questions or make comments, please uh, use the YouTube live chat section. You'll probably see it. I think it's on the right side of the screen, probably. And uh, so that's the format for this evening. And uh, now I can give the introduction to the meditation for this evening. And uh, the background for this is that yesterday I gave a Dhamma talk and someone made a a really heartfelt comment about the mental health impact of the current uh, COVID-19 lockdown restrictions. And he asked me to chant a blessing for all those who are experiencing particularly depression and suicidal thoughts. And uh, that really touched me. I thought, yes, this is a really um, important thing to address. And... Uh, it reminded me too that I had uh, recently heard about somebody who uh, some months ago actually was in the hotel quarantine and committed suicide. I couldn't believe that. Amazing. Quite shocking. And uh, I did chant the blessing, but I thought, um, and the blessings can be very effective for people who have got faith, who've got, who believe in it, and also for people when they know that someone else is thinking about them, that has quite a bit of power too. But it occurred to me, the best blessing is practicing being one's own best friend and the best friend of others. So this is meta meditation. Someone who is there for us in difficult times, and this, this uh, is definitely a difficult time <laughs> for people. And it's so important for us to be on good terms with ourselves as we have to live with ourselves and with, with, uh, we're so close to ourselves. We have to like and accept ourselves um, uh, as we are. But realising, of course, we can all change. And this was very, very important for me when I lived in a cave in Sri Lanka in the forest on the side of a mountain, a very beautiful place actually, and um, 
It was about uh, one kilometre from the village and every morning I'd go for arms round into that village and then come back and the arms round is where I collect the food and come back and spend the day on my own and then the next day go down the mountain and collect food and then come back and so on. So I spent a lot of time on my own and I, I, I found that it's only possible to do this if one's on good terms with oneself, with myself. And in, in, very interestingly, when I practice metta for myself and others, I'd never feel, and I've very, very rarely felt lonely. And um, but now, of course, living in a cave is a bit, it's a bit much, <laughs> a bit much for me now. So, this developing metta, or we call it sometimes loving kindness though I prefer friendliness, actually, is a better term, I think, uh, closer to the original meaning, is very important, as I mentioned, uh, during this stage four lockdown in Melbourne particularly, and all, all the more for those people who have to self-isolate, we call quarantine, for uh, two weeks at a time. For many meditators, that would translate as a mini-retreat, <laughs> retreat, but as Ajahn Brahm comments, for many people, you know, if we don't want to be somewhere, then that's a prison for us. So for many people, it's like a prison. And this could even be their own home, which is really, um, you know, sad, or a five-star hotel. And, of course, what it's bringing up for all of us is that uh, we're not able to do what we want. And the Buddha, of course, he pointed out, this is... The first noble truth is of suffering. And of course, when with all these changes that we're experiencing, a great deal of, of uncertainty and insecurity surfaces in our feelings. And uh, then we get these sorts of fears, anxieties and worries come up. And so metta um, is or loving kindness or friendliness, as I said, can overcome the negativity of this negativity, the roots of these emotions actually goes in deep and uh, it can be very, very um, powerful for fear, anxiety, worry, depression, rage. Some people be very angry, uh, you know, at being contained, you know, and isolation. So it's a very uh, powerful um, meditation. And it reminded me of uh, Ajahn Brahm's uh, Nalagiri strategy. I don't know if you are familiar with Nalagiri. Nalagiri was actually an elephant <laughs> at the time of the Buddha. And there is an episode that uh, we uh, can, a story of uh, one time, uh, one of the monks who was trying to actually kill the Buddha, his cousin, Venerable Devadatta, um, he arranged with the king, uh, King Ajata Satu, to um, for his his workers to get an elephant drunk, to get it enraged, and then the idea was to open the stable doors and let this the king's elephant rush out and trample the Buddha to death. That was the idea. Pretty awful, isn't it? Like hit and run. And uh, so they did that. They got the elephant drunk with alcohol and beat it, and so it was really angry. And then in the morning, when the uh, Buddha and um, a lot of the other monks were going on the arms round, collecting food in the village. They let they opened the doors, and the elephant Nalagiri rushed out 
towards the Buddha. And everybody was sure that the Buddha would be killed by this elephant. But as and uh, before the elephant reached the Buddha, Venerable Ananda, his uh, um, his personal assistant, you could say, the monk who looked after him for twenty five years, stood in his way. But the Buddha said, "No need, Ananda. No need." And this elephant rushed towards the Buddha. And they say the Buddha just radiated this loving kindness, this friendliness, this acceptance, total acceptance, unconditional love to this drunken elephant. And the elephant stopped, slowed down and then stopped and came closer to the Buddha. And uh, the Buddha was even able, I think, to pat the elephant. So this was the story about Nalagiri and this it really emphasizes one of the qualities that the Buddha had a great deal of and which would attract people, not only attract people, but make them feel comfortable, make them feel accepted so that they could listen to teachings that he gave. But as Ajahn Brahm says, sometimes our minds are like this elephant, Nalagiri. And then what we need out of control with um, emotions and different mind states and uh, agitation with fear, anxiety, all these things, maybe even panic. And then we need to give this unconditional friendliness to that mind state so that it calms down and, the ment and that uh, uh, emotion calms down and passes away. And this is the way we need to develop a, a metta or friendliness, is we're not trying to get rid of these mind states. We're extending this friendliness, this acceptance of what we're experiencing here and now and then allowing it to pass away. And just uh, Ajahn Brahm has a lovely story about a water buffalo that uh, um, a villager was one day outside the uh, the monastery where he was spent a lot of time in Thailand. Um, a villager had a water buffalo and it got very frightened and it ran off and the villager had the rope and he held on to the rope and the buffalo is obviously much stronger, ran off and he held on to the rope and it wound around his fingers and he lost a few of his fingers because of that because he didn't let go. He resisted the water buffalo running wild. And then he came into the monastery with a bleeding hand and uh, seeking medical attention. So this is like this strategy. Sometimes our minds are out of control. We have to let them run, let that energy pass, have this uh, metta, have this friendliness to whatever we're experiencing, and then it can pass. So this uh, metta is... is uh, a very powerful uh, emotion that we can use. Sometimes people think of it as uh, warm, soft and cuddly, isn't it? That's the term, <laughs> soft and cuddly. And of course it can be, but it can also be very powerful. And it's very useful, not only in our daily lives, but in, in the meditation, it's a wonderful way to clear away a lot of the hindrances, those things that stand in the way of our meditation, settling down and becoming more peaceful. It's a wonderful way to connect ourselves with other people, to feel close to people, even when they're far away. And uh, we often, sometimes people can feel 
emotionally far away from people that they're close to physically. And so this is meta-connexus. And this, of course, at this time, you know, we're very lucky that uh, we have the internet to connect us. But meta is a much more powerful connection, really, than even the internet. And as I mentioned, it's a feeling. So this is what we're developing. It's not just words. And for those who think they cannot develop metta, it's natural to all human beings. It's not something that the Buddha invented. It is a quality of all human beings' hearts and minds. But what the Buddha did with it was to develop it, to use it as a vehicle, to make it unbounded to make it a liberation of the mind. That's when it reaches its uh, maximum capacity. So it's completely unbounded, which is a very, very powerful state of mind and also a vehicle to achieve awakening. So metta is, is something that's quite powerful. And of course, most people are used to developing metta through words. Uh, we, we, often, we, we often think of developing it through words, but really where we need to develop metta is through our, as the Buddha said, through our speech, through our actions and our minds, not just words that we're speaking in our mind. And the Buddha goes even further. He says we should develop this metta in public and in private. So, and of course, daily life is where we create most of our, most of the problems we experience in life, most of the karma we are making is in daily life. So this meditation is a good way to make uh, reduce our negative karma in daily life and to encourage this state of metta. And as I mentioned, we can use words, and of course many people do use words like uh, may, you, may I be happy and well, those sorts of words. But the essence of metta, that those words should focus on friendliness. You can use loving kindness, kindness, love, safety, security, acceptance. These are the sorts of feelings we want to develop. And sometimes we can use images to develop those feelings. And one of my teachers, Ayakima, was very good at doing that. She had one idea of flower garden in the heart where you have these flowers and you give them to yourself and then you give these bouquets of beautiful flowers to others. And she had other images like sun in the heart that's filling us with metta and then we can uh, share it or radiate it to others or moon in the heart was another one. But the, the concept that I'm going to, and then also another area we can use, so we can use words, we can Im use images, we can use concepts. And the one that I'm using tonight is best friend, being a best friend to ourselves and to others. Buddha also had a mother's love for her only child. And so these are, these are um, ways that we can develop uh, the metta. So through words, if you like words, and through images, if you like images, and concepts. But the essence of metta is to look at the good qualities of ourselves and others. Um, unfortunately, we're very good at picking up the faults of ourselves and others, the imperfections. And to a certain extent, our education system is always there. It focuses on looking at what's missing. And that can be helpful, but it also has the negative impact that we're very, very aware of our shortcomings, our faults. So we look at what's, 
right or what's good about ourselves, about what's right or what's good about other people, and even situations like work or um, family situations, because we hear a lot about domestic violence at this time. So this is a really important uh, place for us to develop um, meta or friendliness, and at school as well. So this is an antidote to that negative fault-finding mind, the critical mind. Critical mind has its uses, but it's good to um, be, to use it rather than to allow it to use us. So sometimes this, having developed a critical mind, we program the mind and then we look at things like that in those terms, looking for the faults, looking for what's missing, what could be better. So, And when we practice... Uh, uh, metta or friendliness uh, you can, can practice it in a couple of modes and it's really up to you how what works best for you on a different different occasions some people can uh, find it easier at least to begin with and depending on the state of the mind to wish ourselves and others to be free from difficulties you know to be free from the negative mind states to be free from fear anxiety free from anger, depression, restlessness, or, you know, bodily aches and pains. And sometimes people can find that easier to start with. But the other mode, uh, which we're more accustomed to, sometimes for people it can be too um, too positive. <laughs> too positive. Where we wish ourselves and others, you know, these happiness, contentment, warmth, acceptance, and friendliness and well-being so it really is up to us when we see when we sit down to meditate see what state the mind is in you know will it be uh, more effective to start the meta wishing us to be free of negative states of mind or will it be better to start with positive states of mind just see because we all know that our, th these qualities that I just talked about, the positive states, these are the ones that people, they really wish, wish for in their life. They really want that happiness, that, that love and friendship, acceptance, safety and security is a very good one for a, a meta, for friendliness, and to be free of problems. So I'd like to just uh, to end here with a saying that I think really uh, puts it very well. If we want to be loved, we may not be. But if we want to give love, who can stop us? And that was from a person called Gogopal Das. He's an a, a Indian a sadhu, I think. So beautiful, isn't it? If we want to be loved, we may not be. But if we want to give love, who can stop us? And we give love. Who do we give love to? Ourselves and others. We have to always include ourselves. So I'd like to finish the, uh, that's the introduction. And now we can have a meditation for about 45 minutes. And uh, after the uh, meditation, uh, we can have the comments, questions or complaints. All right, so if you just like to find a posture, whether it's sitting on a chair, on a, cushion, um, however you find most comfortable. Um, sometimes people lie down, that can be okay as long as we don't, <laughs> we don't drift off, 
which is very easy to do. Some people like standing. One can even develop this walking. I used to do quite a bit of uh, loving kindness or metta or meditation while I walked. So now we can sit or however we, whatever posture we're in and to come into the present moment. And letting go of the past and the future, we can close our eyes. Just arriving here in the present moment, an oasis from what we've been doing and what will happen. In the present moment, we're free. Free of the past, of who we think we are. Free of all the expectations and fears about the future. Just here in the present moment. And we can just notice how the body is and make the necessary adjustments to the body, to cushion, whatever, to make the body as comfortable as it can be. It's good to uh, have a relaxed but erect posture. Something that has some energy in it. Now we can mentally relax or soothe the body, starting at the top of the head and the back of the head and the sides of the head, just giving it this soothing, relaxing, kind attention. And then moving our attention to the forehead and soothing it, allowing it to relax and the lines of the forehead to dissolve. And moving down to around the eyes where there's often a lot of tension, soothing the eyes giving them this middle massage around the eyes. And then moving the attention to the cheeks of the face and relaxing the cheeks of the face. And bringing to mind the lips and the chin and relaxing the mouth, which also accumulates quite a bit of tension. 
relaxing it, soothing it with this warm, kind attention. Now we bring to mind the throat, the neck, and moving our attention around the neck, soothing it, relaxing it. Now we bring to mind the right shoulder starting at the neck and moving our attention along the right shoulder, mentally massaging the right shoulder, letting go of any tension, any feeling of burden or strain in the right shoulder. And now we bring to mind the right arm, starting at the top of the right arm. And we move our attention slowly down the right arm to include the elbow, the wrist, the hand and fingers. And give the right arm this soothing, relaxing, warm attention. Now bringing to mind the left shoulder, starting at the neck and moving our attention along the left shoulder, soothing it, relaxing it, letting go of any tension and strain, giving it a mental massage. And now we move the attention to the left arm, starting at the top of the left arm and including the elbow, the wrist, the left hand and fingers, soothing and mentally massaging the left arm on the top of the left arm.
now bringing to mind the back, starting just below the shoulders and moving our attention slowly down the back, giving this warm, kind, relaxing attention to the back. Now we can bring to mind the front of the body, beginning, uh, starting just below the shoulders and moving our attention slowly down the front of the body, relaxing, soothing any hard areas, painful areas, giving this kind, warm, relaxing attention to the front of the body, including the chest, the diaphragm, the stomach, and the abdomen. Now we can bring to mind the right leg starting at the top of the right leg and moving our attention down the right leg to include the knee, the ankle, the foot and the toes, giving the right leg this mental massage. And now we can bring to mind the left leg, starting at the top of the left leg and moving our attention slowly down the left leg to include the knee, ankle, 
foot and toes, giving it this warm, relaxing, soothing attention. Now becoming aware of the whole body, sitting or however we find the body, whatever posture we are in, just aware of the whole body, sitting with this warm, kind attention throughout the body. And now we can keep in mind or bring to mind our intention during this meditation to create the causes for becoming our best friend or best mate, as we say here in Australia, to ourselves, to this mind and body and to others as well in our lives. But not only those we know, but people we don't know and animals, insects, and in the end, all beings. And we embrace whatever we experience with this feeling of being a best friend, whether the experience is pleasant or not. We reject nothing and just allow and accept. So in order to develop this feeling of being a best friend, we can think of the qualities of a best friend. A best friend, of course, very friendly, fun to be with. We feel relaxed. It's easy to be with them. We enjoy being with them. We feel a sense of warmth, kindness, acceptance. And... They understand us and we understand them. Someone we really connect with. So we can just bring up 
or any of these qualities or whatever qualities you think of as a best friend and to get in touch with the feeling that this brings up. So we get in touch with that feeling. Usually it's a sort of warm, expansive, open feeling, a feeling of well-being. And we can feel ourselves with it from head to toe, feeling the body and the mind, and this feeling of being a best friend, someone that's there for us, whatever the situation
And we can give this feeling of being our own best friend to the breath, filling it with this friendliness, this kindness, warmth and care as we breathe it in, this friendliness, and as we breathe it out, we infuse the breath with this feeling of being a best friend to ourselves, being a best friend to the breath, breathing it in and breathing out this friendliness to the world. And if this feeling of being a best friend reduces, remember, we can remember the qualities that brought it up to begin with and that way re-establish, reconnect with that feeling of being a best friend to ourselves, to the breath and to the world.
and uh, how we can radiate this feeling of being a best friend to everyone who's listening to this live streaming. this kindness, this warmth, this acceptance, being their best friend. Wishing them safety and well-being. And now we can radiate this feeling of being a best friend to all beings, everywhere, starting from where we are and radiating it in ever-widening circles to include all the human beings, friends, unknown people we don't know, animals, insects, birds, all beings on this planet just in ever-widening circles from where we are now, radiating this warmth, this friendliness, kindness, being a best friend to all beings, wherever they are.
keeping in mind, particularly those beings affected by the COVID-19 coronavirus in all the various countries around the world and here in Australia. Now we can bring the attention back to ourselves and to keep in mind an aspiration and intention that may we develop this feeling of being a best friend for ourselves and for everyone we meet as much as possible. And may my speech and actions come from this feeling of being a best friend to myself and others. And we can anchor this feeling of being a best friend in our hearts and turn to it, become familiar with it, turn to it any time of day and night. So it's like a dear friend, something that is, becomes our second nature. And as we're getting close to the end of the meditation, we can just ask ourselves how we feel now. How do I feel? Do I feel different from the beginning of the meditation? Do I, did I feel, have this feeling of being a best friend for myself and for others? And did I feel more friendly, kind, safe and relaxed or not? And also to consider what caused these feelings to arise. I experienced and did I notice the feeling that came up for me did it change did it get stronger and weaker and also to consider did I make this feeling of being a best friend happen or did it arise from the causes and conditions?
can slowly come out of the meditation, opening the eyes and moving our bodies to make them more comfortable. Just see if there are any questions. Chin look, are there any questions? There are some received. All right. Yes. We have two questions so far, Jan. All right. Fine. First question is mm -hmm. um, How do we deal with delusion during Moha Samadhi? As in Moha is in M O H A. Mm. Right. How do we do deal with delusion during moha samadhi. Well, moha samadhi usually is um, like a, a state of um, lack of clarity. Uh, moha can be uh, many things. It's a delusion. But in actual fact, the, mo the most powerful delusion, part aspect of delusion, there are many uh, sides to it, is a sense of self. So that uh, is something that deludes us a lot. We think we're running things, we're making things happen. But moha samadhi, this is uh, when the samadhi always suggests when we it's the mind is coming together. And um, but usually um, moha samadhi indicates you know the lack of awareness. And um, so that's that's an indicator when the mind is cloudy and it's not clear. Um, there's not much energy there, but it feels peaceful. It feels peaceful. So um, they can be the indicators for it. I always remember Ayakima said, if, if you come out of the meditation yawning, which I find I do sometimes actually, that probably is an indicator that it's more, there's been a, a more moha in there. There's been... It's been restful, but not not sharp, not aware. Uh, and maybe that's what we needed at that time. And sometimes people uh, can can get the idea that they've been in deep deep states of meditation, and they may not have actually. They may have been, um, as it were, nodding off or you know, in a very cloudy state, but peaceful. Um, you know, and uh, this is something, that people are attracted to, of course, the peace. But uh, what we need with that sense of peace is, of course, clarity as well. Sort of a clarity, know what we've experienced. Because when there's moha samadhi, there's not that mindfulness that's aware of what's happening here and now. It's a very fuzzy state. Um, so moha uh, samadhi is it's not so useful, but it can be pleasant. Um, but as long as we don't <laughs> don't mistake it for the real thing, and think, "Wow, this is you know," I know some people will say, "Oh, oh, you know, I was just I thought I only sat for a few minutes, but it was an hour and a half," and um, they they've actually not been very aware during that time, so the time has gone fast. So the passage of time is not always a good indicator, but certainly the clarity 
that we have, the awareness that we have, the mindfulness we have, they're all good indicators. So they, they are things that uh, we can um, take as, as signposts, you know, of the meditation being, um, it being real samadhi. And moha samadhi too, people could even, you know, sometimes people can even get uh, attached to it and think of it as me and mine and, you know, it's a great achievement or whatever. So it's it's not a state that uh, is uh, useful to develop, but it's certainly, you know, we can, you know, check up if, about the quality of our minds, you know, the quality of the alertness. And these deep meditations with uh, deep samadhi and, of course, the jhanas are states of intense awareness. <laughs> Sometimes the old translations were things like trance. That's, that's moha samadhi <laughs> because in trance people don't know uh, what's going on for them. Um, so these deep states of meditation are uh, high energy states that are very alert, very mindful, very aware, very pleasant and uh, joyful and happy so these are all indicators of um you know meditation that isn't moha samadhi so i hope uh, that uh, that helped for that person thank you thank you for that next question mm. how do sick and bedridden monks meditate ah how do sick and bed, bedridden monks meditate? This sounds like the person who's asking this may be sick and bedridden. <laughs> yes. Well, when we are, you know, when we're sick or bedridden, that's when actually I think uh, meta meditation, kindness to ourselves, is so important um, because, you know, we can resist uh, what we're experiencing. We may even think. It's not right, why is it happening to me, all these things. But hopefully a meditator, a monk or a layperson um, realizes this is the nature of the body. And as the Buddha um, encouraged Anakalapita, this was an, an older a layman, a layperson, who came to visit the Buddha and, and was saying, oh, I'm often sick, so I can't come to see you as much as I would like. And then the Buddha encouraged him by saying, even though your body may be sick, do not let your mind be sick. And this is what we need to do um, when we are sick. It's not easy, <laughs> especially if we're in pain or, you know, it's going on. It's a chronic illness. We're bedridden. Um, uh, is to, to look after the mind. Um, and not make the situation worse, as it were, for ourselves or for others um, by having a negative state of mind and uh, experiencing, um, you know, difficult states in the body already, you know, pain and sickness, illness, having to rely on other people if we're bedridden. I did see a news item not so long ago of a, a woman who was... Uh, uh, she's confined to bed and uh, she's, she's enjoying the the internet because there's so many live programs on that she could watch and so on. But she looked really happy, actually. And I don't think it was only the the, um, the uh, programs she was watching on the internet. She just sort of looked like she was happy within herself. 
and this is somebody that's come to accept their situation. It may change, but accept their situation and not have negativity towards it because that's the uh, second noble truth, isn't it, that uh, the cause of our difficulty is wanting things to be other than they are. I mean, if we have it within our ability for things to be changed, good. If we don't, then we have to accept that this is what we're experiencing at the moment. And um, um, by accepting it, then lose, then reduce a lot of that uh, pain, a lot of that suffering, which goes with rejecting what we're experiencing at the present moment. It does no good. It does no good at all because we're already experiencing those pains, those difficulties. So if we have this resistance in the mind, we're just making it what Ayakima used to call double dukkha, double dukkha, double suffering, <laughs> double serving of it. It's not easy to do, easy to say. And um, I'm very impressed with, um, I, I saw a, a, a program on mindfulness and there was this uh, a woman, this uh, laywoman teacher, Vidya Mala, I think her name was, in England. She's actually a New Zealander. And she was talking, she is somebody that has chronic pain and is um, partly paralyzed, really. She's in a wheelchair and everything. But she has a very full life. And the way she deals, obviously, with pain is this being able to accept it. Um, being able to breathe with it. She uses breathing a lot. Um, and uh, these things can be very helpful. But it's not easy because most people are fighters. <laughs> they want to fight with it. But, uh, so it takes a lot of wisdom and understanding to accept the unpleasant. And this is where you know, this loving kindness can be very, very useful because it can accept things as they are. It can, uh, you know, the the negative emotions, the unpleasant emotions we're feeling, uh, the anger or the fear or anxiety, it can accept it. And, and in that acceptance, calm it down and then it can go by itself. So this is uh, the power of loving kindness too. But breathing, I know Ayakima was great on pain and things like that. She would say, breathe through the pain, you know. Um, so this is a very nice way of doing it. Not trying to get rid of it, just breathing through it in a very relaxed way. So these are all ways. But the most important thing for us is where our minds are at. You know, that makes the real difference. And um, the interesting thing with sickness, with pain, it is a great teacher because it is real a dukkha, it's real suffering. Um, and if we cannot uh, get rid of it with drugs or whatever, we have to come to terms with it. And uh, this loving kindness, this acceptance is the way we can uh, do that. So... I hope that helps with uh, that question. What monks do who <laughs> are bedridden and with the sickness and, and so on. Yeah. Next question. Um, I'm just trying to rephrase the question a little bit. Right. Hopefully I got it right for the listener. Um, first time for me to join this session. Good. Good. Thank just you. now my mind was alert, but I was my mind was wondering as well. 
So I, but I kept my breathing steady till the end. Hmm. Am I on the right track? Yeah, I think. Please advise. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> now peace and calm. Yeah, peace and calm. Right. The mind. That's good to see that the mind is wandering because that's exactly what it does normally. It is doing that, and to see it, uh, that it is wandering is uh, is. Um, that's sort of an insight, really, you know, to see the nature of the mind. And you often hear people say when they start to meditate, oh, my goodness, my mind was all over the place, you know. Um, uh, but what they realize is that's probably what it's like most of the time, actually, but they don't pay attention to it. But also with the breath, we, we, we don't want to have a, a really tight grasp on it. We don't want to add tension to the system, to the mind. So when we're breathing in and breathing out with a pleasant emotion, like uh, if you can arouse that feeling of being a best friend and then combine it with the breath, then it makes the breath very attractive to be with. Otherwise, for many people, they think, uh, oh, it's pretty boring. <laughs> it's pretty boring. But when we... Um, as it were, beautify the breath, then it's easier to stay with. Naturally what happens as one stays with the breath more, then the automatic process begins that the Buddha describes where the mind gets this gladness, this brightness, this joy, um, and then it gets very tranquil, the mind and the body get very tranquil, and then and then happiness comes, inner happiness comes up, and then the mind mind comes together because that happiness glues it, brings it together. It doesn't want to be anywhere else. So you're on the right track, but don't force it. <laughs> don't force it. That's uh, the important thing. Make it something that you enjoy doing because if you don't enjoy doing it, if you think it is hard work, then you won't keep at it for very long. There are lots of things that people think are good for them, but they don't enjoy so that doesn't that doesn't last it may whether it be physical exercises or meditation if they force their minds so good luck with that and uh, use a lot of metta uh, in in for the breath for uh, the meditation so thank Next you for question that. a vaccine to fix the current pandemic would require testing with animals can Buddhist view ever allow for this if this can end the pandemic? Yes, yes. Yes. It's interesting because I saw a news item that the, uh, I think the Archbishop, Catholic Archbishop of Sydney is saying that it's a, um, there are moral problems with the, the new vaccine because it's come from an from a embryo that was aborted and uh, they're using some of the um, DNA from it for this vaccine so that so you know there's always these um, um, uh, ethical dimensions to things like this and of course you know any um, from buddhist perspective we don't want to create any suffering for any beings um, and you know even I, th I think people are very happy for uh, these uh, medicines and so on that are not tested on animals but uh, I don't know about this virus uh, vaccine whether it has been tested on animals but certainly um, 
Yes, it wouldn't be ideal if that's the case, yeah. It's a dilemma, isn't it? We always have these dilemmas whether um, there's a greater good served by it, but also we have to keep in mind that uh, the heart of Buddhism is this harmlessness, not harming other beings. So we have to keep a balance, keep a balance. It's a difficult one, and one where I think each individual will have to make their mind up. Though if it becomes mandatory, <laughs> that we, means that we all have to take it, then that's it, yeah. So, no, that's a difficult, uh, difficult situation. And one, you know, I think you can, uh, you know, if you meditate, get peaceful, and then bring that um, question up to, mind, to your mind, and then just see. But, of course, you know, you need a lot need the information first, you know, has it been tested on animals and uh, so on. Mm. Thank you very much for that question. Would yeah. monks be able to be mindful mm -hmm. of death when sudden death happens? Wow. I would like to know your experiences with such monks. Right. I don't, I, c I can't think of any uh, monks Well, the ideal for uh, any Buddhist practitioner is to be mindful when they pass away, um, whether it be suddenly or not. But the way that one can uh, be prepared for that is by um, contemplating death and seeing, you know, you can do contemplations where you see your own uh, body, the body dying, and... Uh, going through the stages of death and then decay. Um, so this can prepare us for um, the inevitable time when the body will break down. It has to. It has to. Um, and also to develop the mind that uh, um, has that awareness, that wisdom, that this is only the body that dies. The mind, usually, it moves on. It's changing all the time. It's not permanent and uh, changing all the time. So so we have, by using the mind to contemplate death, we can get ready for it, you know. And uh, many teachers um, will ask, are you ready to die? <laughs> you know, are you ready to die? And uh, most people aren't. Not Not yet, not yet. But if we have that sense, you know, at any moment, if that happens, I'm I'm ready to go. You know, um, then that's a that's the best the best we can hope for, and uh, to use all all our practice to develop the qualities that will allow us to be mindful, allow us to, if possible, die peacefully, accepting what we're experiencing accepting that the body has to break up. <laughs> this is the nature of bodies. And, uh, and with that acceptance, then to be able to die peacefully and mindfully. And if possible, you know, with our practice, um, at the point of death when there's, um, the mind is uh, separating from the body, to use that time maybe to... To, to let go of, because we're letting go of the body, we're letting go of the world we know, to take the practice even deeper. And if there is, you know, Ajahn Brahm is often talking about, other people talk about the samadhi, a bright light coming up to go towards it. 
and to let go of everything that we've we've uh, been attached to in the world. Of course, letting go of what we're attached to, we have to do before we die. <laughs> it doesn't work just exactly on the deathbed, but there's big letting go, so it's a big opportunity for that. So our practice doesn't end at death. It it's, it's continues. Uh, we practice before it, for that occasion, and then after it. And with that practice, whatever we've practiced during this life, this will be how we will experience, um, usually experience our death. And we can make use of that time too. So I hope that was <laughs> different. <laughs> so that's it. Yes. Sandy? Ajahn, is it slot and topper that contribute to moha samadhi? Exactly. Or are there other factors that lead to this? Yes, it, it's a sloth and torpor. This is drowsiness and uh, uh, sort of tiredness, uh, dullness, dullness. But there are other factors t too. You, you can see it, you know, that uh, there can be um, uh, the sense of being bored with a meditation object. That can certainly, you know, one can tune out, that's for sure. Um, also, you know, if we have difficulties in our lives, people have different ways of dealing with them. And sometimes it's just to really tune out, you know, go into these fuzzy states of mind. And of course, we see that quite often when people drink a lot. That's the idea of it, isn't it? To go into this really fuzzy state of mind that lets go of all the problems. And so there can be, you know, that uh, aversion to the unpleasantness we may be experiencing in life from situations or disappointments with ourselves or whatever. Um, so that can be another factor that we're just trying to, um, as it were, unskillfully get away from that. You know, we're rejecting it by going into fuzzy land, you know. But it can be also boredom with the, the meditation, you know, we can maybe find the breath boring. That's why it's very important, uh, I, f I feel, to you know, add this, um, to beautify the breath or the meditation object with a positive emotion. And this is something that is uh, very useful for our lives too because we can, if we learn the knack of developing these positive emotions, that's very useful in our everyday life. So this is some of the things, some of the states that are behind uh, Moha Samadhi, um, you know, just that wish to escape. <laughs> but it's not the right sort of escape. Not what the Buddha was uh, was uh, talking about. Escape for the Buddha, that's my name actually, Nisarana, uh, is uh, the escape is from delighting in, uh, delighting in uh, things, in sensual pleasures, things like that, delighting in in uh, those things so so to escape in a good way but not to escape into this dullness is important but usually most people they will go into states like that and then come out of it so it's not as if it's usually a permanent thing but if we do it regularly i suppose we can get into a habit that's possible yeah that's possible so Thank you for that question. Yeah, I think probably the last question. All right. Yes. No, no Can way. the bedridden people meditate in the same way, like we meditate while si while sitting? Right. Can bedridden person meditate like we do when we are sitting? Uh, 
Usually I would think not. I think it's more, you know, uh, acceptance sort of meditation, more uh, um, using loving kindness and things like this to accept, to understand what we're experiencing, um, to be at peace with... uh, to make peace with what we're experiencing that's acceptance really um is is what most people will be doing but having said that i think many people will know that uh, ajahn brahm will tell that story of when he had scrub typhus in thailand he was a young monk and scrub typhus you know you get incredible temperatures incredible weakness um it's it's quite uh, debilitating and i think people will probably die from it but there's, fortunately there's an antibiotic that works with it very well. And he was so sick, you know, that he um, would find it very, very... It's like a marathon for him to get from the bed to the toilet and back. And uh, it was in a, a, Thailand, in a hospital in Thailand so many years ago when they didn't have so many facilities. And the nurse would go off at 6 o'clock and not come back to the morning... And here he was, you know, really sick, weak and, and everything. But he said even lying in bed all curled up and feeling like death warmed up, he could go into deep meditation. And many of us will say, wow, that's Ajahn Brahm though, isn't it? <laughs> but the interesting thing is with the mind that if there is a lot of pain, a lot of uh, unpleasantness with the body, the mind can and does go deep within itself and let go of the body. And uh, this is, I call it the back door into jhana because pain can push us to go inside. And uh, I think uh, people, people have seen, can see this with people who are close to death. Often they just close down and they're going deep, going inside. And of course, the story I think of is Ajahn Brahm's story of one of the people I know too from uh, Western Australia who was in the British Army and used to suffer from migraines. And he was, this was at the end of the Second World War. And they were out in the, he was in the Engineers Corps and they're out in the country and he had terrible migraine and they stopped for a break and he went into a barn, sat down, and then uh, the they had tea. The other monk, the other um, soldiers had tea. And they drove off, and they realised where well, they'd left their commander. <laughs> and they went back. There he was in the barn, just sitting there. And they just picked him up and put him in the truck with them and drove off. But uh, Ajahn Brahm says, you know, it was you know it was a jhana that he went into, uh, and he went. Uh, and his, he said his experience was he went into the centre of the pain and just the mind went inside. And it reminded me too of Viktor Frankl who wrote this wonderful book called Man's Search for Meaning. And he relates, and I actually, lately I thought maybe it was Viktor Frankl who was talking about, that some people in the concentration camps, in the midst of all this horror, all this deprivation, hunger, you know, everything that was going on actually went inside, the mind went inside and they had this incredible joy and happiness in the midst of all this horror, you know, in these crowded barracks. And I, you think, how is that possible? But sometimes when the mind is forced, it can come in the back door to, to what we say, the jhanas. That's what I, I call it the back door to the jhanas. 
when things are so awful that the mind just knows, just retreats within itself. And so this experience can, uh, can happen for people. Of course, the front door is much better. It's going through joy and happiness uh, uh, to develop um, these samadhi states, these jhana states. So, but it does happen. So, uh, so it's possible that when people are very sick, they may actually be forced, like no other time in their life, the mind will go within itself. And this is an important thing to realize, realize about meditation. It's the mind doing it. It's, it's not us doing it. It's not uh, Ajahn Brahm lying on that bed and forcing himself into to this deep meditation. It was his mind reacting to that situation and going within itself because everything was so unpleasant in that experience. And so that, that's what the mind can do, the power of the mind. And that's what we are aiming to do as Buddhists, is to liberate the mind, <laughs> allow the mind to be free of all the uh, greed, hatred and delusion, defilements, and also to allow it to develop the wisdom to let go of being reborn again. So I hope that, that helped. It, it took a bit of a, bit of a uh, detour, perhaps, but what can happen at the, uh, at the point of uh, when we're very, very sick and uh, perhaps, perhaps the point of death? Mm. Maybe can I mention a couple of comments here, yes, yes. One of them is, I am so lucky to find Ajahn. <laughs> right. That's one of my so meditation Ajahn. subjects. And another I'm one so is you, Ajahn. You always guide very good meditation. Oh, so I do. Okay. Thank you. So and you thank know, you. a few others is, thank you, Ajahn, for a wonderful meditation. Thank you. thank you, Ajahn, for leading today's meditation. Just to mention a few. Few. That's good. Yes, to meditate together is a great treat, actually, and it's even better when we are together, you know, physically together, because you feel that energy very strongly. Actually, I do anyway. I feel it very strongly, and uh, it's a great support. So, thank you very much for all of you being here this evening, and all those that have made the recording possible. So now we can finish off with paying respects to the Buddha, Dhamma and Sangha, those who would like to. And I'll just chant that for the, uh, for the listeners. Arahang Samma Sambuddha Bhagava Buddhang Bhagavantang Abhivadehmi Swaghato Bhagavata Dhammo Dhammang Namasami Supatipano Bhagavato Samvaka Sangho Sangang Namami